Good morning. I should probably adjust this. I actually was born into a family of tall women, except for my mother, which is why I am the way I am. <laughs> uh, good morning. My name is Ben. Welcome to City Bible Church. I serve as pastor here and uh, make a couple of quick announcements. We'll pray and we'll jump into our time in the scripture since it is City Bible Church. Uh, I don't know if I, if anyone uh, needs a Bible, if you'll just wave, we'll be happy to put one in your hands. Um, and there is Wi-Fi that you can use as well. I don't see anyone yet. Um, yes, yeah, don't be shy. Welcome. We'll put a, put a Bible in your hands. Also, there's a, a monthly email that goes out and a paper. You might call it a bulletin that kind of keeps you update on the events of the church and what's going on. Uh, you can find that on the back aisles and back by the offering box that's back by Chris right there or where Trevor's guitar is sticking up. You can see the offering box back there. And, of course, you can use our website to donate and to listen to previous messages. You can also find us on iTunes. And we do have coming up the women's conference that uh, Allison mentioned that uh, this is one of the very few things that we do outside of Sunday mornings in small groups um, and one of the very few things that we do that's just us, so to speak. And so this is for the ladies of our church. It's coming up. There is a registration sheet um, out in the lobby that you can make available to you. Um, also, we have multiple ways that you can engage with the church and be updated on everything that's going on in social media. That's been particularly helpful with uh, the la this past month with a lot of spontaneous uh, neighborhood cleanups. And since we are um, in different small groups around the city and in different neighborhoods, not everybody knows uh, where um, people are and what's going on and how the different small groups are serving their neighborhoods, whether that's uh, with neighborhood cleanups or different things. And so the web gives us a free way to kind of connect with each other and what each other are doing um, to make that a little bit easier for you. Now, I did what my wife told me I shouldn't do, and that was give time for announcements this morning. Let's pray and just uh, ask God for help, okay? Lord, I thank you so very much that you love us. I thank you so very much that you are in control, that you have a plan, that you are with us, that you are for us, and that no one can stand against us. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you've given us this chance to look at the life of Peter and what he learned from Jesus. We ask that you would help us as we wrap this uh, today to learn from you and to be different because of it. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. So a little bit unique from our normal, um, I'm going <clears> to <throat> refer to a few scriptures and put them on the screen this morning before we actually turn in our Bibles together. Uh, most of you are aware that our stated purpose as a church, you can see on the screen, is to be helping people connect with Jesus, grow in faith, and share His love. We get that from scripture, and we get that um, as a way for us to filter or identify, are we as a group being successful and is my life as an individual with Jesus successful? This is kind of how we measure it, whether it's Sunday morning or a small group or anything that we do, like neighborhood cleanups and, and other things of that nature. Um, that's how we filter it. And what we've been doing is looking through the eyes of Peter. And this image that you have is the current uh, TV miniseries, you know, picture of what Peter might have looked like. I do find it helpful to occasionally kind of have some pictures to help fire my imagination. Um, how many of you know we serve 
the most creative person that has ever lived that is God. Right? Right? And so our approach to Him, whether it's church on a Sunday morning, what we call the event that we get together on a Sunday, or how we live our lives, should not be regimented to the point of boredom. It should be the most creative thing that you do. And so your faith and your following of Jesus should also fire your creativity. And for me, in fire, wanting to try to fire your imagination and your creativity, that's why we've been on this series for the past five weeks, looking through the eyes of Peter and had different moments to kind of talk about his life and what that might have been like, because there was an eye-to-eye connection that Peter had with Jesus, our Savior, God and 100% human. There was an eye to eye. There was something that Peter saw. There was something that when Peter heard the voice of Jesus that changed him, that caused him to temporarily walk away from his career, walk away from his marriage, his kids, temporarily walk away from that to spend some time following Jesus, listening to Jesus, and to learn what was in the heart of God, what God had intended from us. And so kind of our premise, our focus has been 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, his instruction to us to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And not a single word of that is wasted, and they are very important words to us. To to break it down in more street language, we kind of have been working from the premise that we can grow in faith. Remember that second of our big three, connect, grow, share? We can grow in faith by taking in what Peter learns from Jesus. That's kind of been our premise. Does that make sense? Okay, some of you are with me. That's good. So here's, here's the topics that we have already looked at. If you want to go back on, on the web or iTunes and, and, and listen to them, here's the topics that we've looked at already. Faith after failure. Faith for healing. Follow with devotion. Follow with humility. And follow with love. What I want to talk about today to wrap this is Jesus is for everyone. Jesus is for everyone. This is something that Peter learned, and this affects us in our lives and our understanding. So let me walk you through some basic things first. Jesus said this, Love God with all you've got, and love your neighbor the same way you take care of yourself. When Jesus described God's love and our life with Him and what that should look like, we've talked about it in terms of almost like enjoying chocolate cake to the point where it's the only thing where you find happiness. And if you were to to love chocolate cake with all that you've got, you would want to study, where does this cocoa... It grows on trees? That would be as strange a thought to you as the first time you explain Halloween to kids. Everyone that we know is just giving away candy? If you were to love chocolate cake with all that you've got, you'd have that kind of discovery. You would celebrate it. You would savor it. You'd love the smell. You'd love the taste. And you would want to learn how to make more so that you would never have a day where you didn't have to go without enjoying chocolate cake. 
Now that's actually a good example for what our approach to be should be to God. Since God is not an old cranky man in the sky with a stick looking to beat us, but he is instead a loving God who created the world with purpose and by design, a God who loves us and loves us extravagantly. Since that's who God really is, it is a profound, simple truth we can take away from scripture that we should enjoy him. He is to be enjoyed, to be savored. To be reveled in. And we should love him with all we've got. But then we should also love our neighbor the same way that we take care of ourselves. That's the way Jesus described it in the ancient street Greek that Jesus spoke these words in. And so Peter certainly took that away. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. And it's easy to talk about that in terms of what Jesus said that you can find in Matthew 28. Again, if we were to translate it today... This go into all the world and make disciples, if we were to truly translate that Greek today, this is what it would read like. Go urge people of every nation to become followers, active learners who lead others to follow. Go make disciples of all. That's what, if we were to translate the Greek today, this is what it would mean. Now, this is, there's an important distinction that Jesus makes. Jesus uses the word from which we get ethnic, E-T-H-N-I-C, ethnic or ethnicity in this all nations or people from every nation. He did in another place expound that they should start in the city where they were and go abroad into other countries. He did say that. But in this occasion, that's not what he said. In this occasion, and you may have grown up in church and have heard this verse, and so I just want to bring some correction to some bad theology. In this occasion, what he did say is to people who are of every ethnicity. Okay, let's just pause. I don't find that the term race is particularly productive. Race card, racial divide, racism... I don't find that that's particularly productive. Uh, let me just, I'm not a vocabulary neat nick, and those of you that have hung out with me outside of church, you know this. I'm, I'm actually fairly laid back. But just for the sake of understanding, this is a Jesus word that he's using, and this is a Bible idea. Are you okay if we go there real quick? Okay, so ethnicity refers to your bloodline, your ancestry. Okay? Now, Jesus, in this occasion, is primarily speaking to Jews. Okay. Now, the nation of Israel at this time, they had traced their genealogy all the way back to Adam. Okay. And they were not white. They were Jews. They were, in particular, Arab Jews. And in particular, the church from Jerusalem spawned the churches that are why we are here today. And we'll talk more about that later. And so we should support Israel, but we should also support Palestine. Because in Palestine is where the actual ancient church of Christianity exists, from which we have derived our faith to this day. So Palestine, not bad. Okay, There are Christians in Palestine that are our spiritual ancestors. Okay, let's go rewind. Ethnicity. Ethnicity is that genetic code that is in you that depicts your ancestry, your bloodline. If God created Adam and Eve and the garden and the world, the bloodline is his idea. Are you with me? Now, the 
concept of a melting pot is horrible. That's not what God intended when we come together of different ethnicities. And ethnicity is different than culture. We'll come back to that. God's intent is for us to come together and as we come together to be a beautiful show of his creativity in variety. So God's idea of us coming together is a lot more like a salad bowl. But not a salad bowl that you drench in dressing so that it all tastes the same. Okay, the the spinach leaves should not taste the same as the carrots and the red onion and the croutons. Are you with me? So here we are, a multi-ethnic church. We do not do church in such a way as to try to make all y'all taste the same. Are you with me? That's not God's design. That's not his intent. We are unique. Now, do you know that just 35 miles from where I'm standing right now is the Hope Diamond, the largest diamond in the world? Do you know that a diamond does not look pretty when it's in the rough? Now, there's a process that brings the luster, the beauty, the reflection of light out of a diamond. And that process includes many, many, many cuts. Many cuts. The variety, even in this room, reflects the many, many cuts, the great variety in God's creativity in creation. In truth, churches that are ethnically blended show the most of God's beauty. Because in one place, what we see is God's amazing variety of creativity. Am I making any sense? Are you with me? Now, ethnicity is different than culture. Let's talk about that just a little bit, okay? So in this room, by way of example, okay, I had two great-grandfathers that immigrated from Norway because in Chicago there was free education. Now, one of them's English wasn't good enough for to get into school, but he stayed. Okay, now on my mother's side, I have Euromut, a little bit of everything, and Cherokee. Okay, so both my wife and I have some Cherokee, some Native American. So we understand the actual history, not just the history that's taught in school, which was European imperialists came over and moved Native Americans off their land. My daughter this week is singing a song about the Trail of Tears. That's a part of U.S. history. Okay, so that's a part of my ethnicity. But you would not look at me and say that, right? Because in America, we have the social construct of race. And so you would just say white. I'm not trying to get you to stop saying that. I'm just trying to explain what we're putting our hands on today. Are you with me? Okay. So, Femi, in the back, raise your hand, Femi, real quick. Okay, Femi is born in Nigeria. Femi is Nigerian, like Jimmy. Jimmy was just here, just stepped out. Oh, there you are. Okay, I didn't see you. Jimmy had his head down. With good reason. He's finishing up all his coursework this week. He's been very tired. Okay, so Jimmy and Femi are Nigerian. Okay, but you notice that they look unique from each other. But ethnically, they are similar, different than I am. Are you with me? Right? There's an ethnic difference. Okay? Now, in the room, uh, Joe is walking around with his son. Joe's parents immigrated from India. Okay? So Joe is an Indian American, not a Native American or First Nation American, from India American, right? Okay, so we have ethnic differences between Jimmy, Femi, 
Joe and myself. Those are ethnic differences. Culturally, we have similarities. Culture is going to include the soup that we swim in, of music, of pop culture, of current events, of what we talk about, of what music we listen to, what movies we watch, what our vocabulary is, if we're speaking the same language, uh, of if we enjoy the same things, of the vocabulary, humor, sense of humor. Culture includes all of those different things. Now, Femi and Jimmy have some cultural differences, even though they're both born in Nigeria. Okay? There are some cultural things that are unique between them. Okay? Vocabulary is a little bit different. Okay? But yet they both came over here to the States for postgraduate work, so there's educational similarities. Joe and I are ethnically different, but culturally very similar. He grew up in Virginia. He drives a diesel truck. He takes pride in being called a redneck. He, some of the music and the, and the movies that he grew up listening to, his sense of humor culturally has a lot of things that cross over with me. But me being grown up in the Pacific Northwest, I got culture that's different from all y'all. Okay? So is that helping you a little bit? Ethnicity and culture. They're different things. But if we are going to seek to understand each other more and love each other more, we should understand in a healthy way what unique factors exist. Did that make any sense at all? (laughs) Okay, good. All right. If we're going to appreciate each other, if we're going to love on each other, we've got to understand what these differences are, not just say, oh, you're white, you're red, you're yellow, you're black. No, that's not helpful. Are you with me? Okay. So ethnicity and culture are different. What did Jesus say? Love your neighbor, those that are around you. Within a two-mile circle of where I stand right now is 75% African-American. 75%. So if we're going to love our neighbor, that's going to include African-Americans. I would have thought you would have said amen there or something. (laughs) Okay. So, and then if I'm going to love people of every nation, that's like, for example, the Beattie family is African-American. They've got white neighbors. So ethnically, that means that they're loving on their white neighbors as well as their African-American neighbors. Okay. Common sense, I know, but needs to be discussed. Right? Because you might have a verbal, uh, a mental, okay, I can check the box, I believe in diversity, but not have any diversity in your life. Who are you spending time with? Who are you loving on? What cultures do you appreciate? Are you with me? So that's, that's kind of where the rubber meets the road. So as we urge people from every nation to become followers, that's what we should do. How did Peter, let's go back, how did Peter describe what he learned from Jesus? I'm so glad you asked. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 9 and 15, Peter wrote this, talking about God. Uh, your older translations would read, God is not willing that any should perish. Now he's talking about hell, Right? Hell. We believe in hell. Jesus spoke about hell a lot. Open your Bible. It's an important truth. Peter talking about God, Father God. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Repentance was something Jesus talked about a lot. Verse 15, the Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. 
Peter knew, even though originally and before Jesus, he was a Jew ethnically, and most of his social contacts as a small business person was with Jews, Peter had learned from Jesus that God is not willing that any should perish. Now, this is a really important truth, okay? Let's take it just a step further. Let's, again, here, here's some things that Peter said. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 21, in a public setting, Peter said, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever. Now, we have ethnic variety, cultural variety, and cultural variety is going to include education and economics. So, uh, when I was a kid, my family was on food stamps. Now, that's very different from the economics that some of you grew up in. But you might look at me, oh, he's white. He probably grew up in privilege. I grew up po. Poor. There's economic difference, and then there's educational variety, right? I've had small groups that I've led where I've had people with a fourth grade education that could not read and write, and PhDs that came from the best education that London, England could provide. There's education, and so what can happen is that culturally, hang in there with me, right? Culturally, we can come to believe whether our parents said it or not. And my parents never said stuff like this in my house. But some people grow up with this. We can come to believe that we are better than somebody else. Whether the educational or economic bar is higher or lower. Are you with me? That's where racism comes in. When I automatically believe that I am better. Whoa. No. Right? Right? That doesn't work that way. Peter wrote Acts chapter 15, verse 11, and this is a moment when he is in particular talking to Jews about the fact that God wanted Jesus to be for everyone, including the Gentiles and people of every nation, which is almost everybody in this room that I'm aware of. I thought we would have had a breath, a, a little chuckle. We're all Gentiles. Though this relates to you. Peter wrote, We believe that all are saved the same way. Okay? African, Anglo, right? Whatever. We all, uh oh, regardless of education, regardless of economics, regardless of vocabulary, Are you tracking with me? We all are saved the same way by the undeserved grace of Jesus Christ. What am I trying to do? Listen, I think everybody in this room believes that racism is wrong. We are are an amazing church. We We feed the homeless. In particular, through one ministry in Baltimore that's almost entirely African-American homeless, without regard for who's getting fed. That's what we as a church do. We serve the mothers of murder victims in Baltimore. We as a church do this. This is I'm not trying to convince you of something that you don't believe in your head and your heart. Are you with me? We serve a young man in Haiti that we as a church provide education and health care and, and housing and every, everything for, right? We serve people in Cambodia. We serve a lot of people that many people in this church are different from ethnically, educationally, economically, culturally. That's stuff that we do. So this is good news, right? But we can learn and grow more. Do you agree? So I've got to look through the eyes of Peter and track the growth. Are you with me? Okay. 
Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., the pastor, in his I Have a Dream speech, I think these words are really important. I have a dream that for my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but the content of their character. The content of their character. Now he's saying we need, any, we need equality and yet not anarchy. Equality and yet not anarchy. Not judged for the color of their skin. What does the Declaration of Independence say? We hold these truths to be self-evident. In other words, this should be obvious. This should be obvious. That all men are created equal. That they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And yet our founding fathers of this nation, the one that moved the Native Americans off their land, They held this to be true and yet not enough to put an end to slavery themselves. We might be sitting here in this room right now and feeling racism. Will it ever end? What we cannot be lulled into is a lack of heart and action. Does that make sense? I read to you before from Isaiah 61, the passage of Scripture that is so important because Jesus chose it to be what he read publicly when he revealed himself to be our Savior. That talks about how the gospel, what God wants to do through Jesus, is setting the wrongs right. Pride, believing that you are better than someone else, includes prejudging someone else, and causes isolation. That's prejudice. Oh, they talk a certain way, they smell a certain way, they walk a certain way. And so on the inside of me, I have a friend who's a pastor in Baltimore City who's a, um, an, um, a veteran um, of the Afghan war. And he has a master's degree. And he's a pastor and a community organizer. And he rides the bus most days. And yet when he rides the bus, as an African-American man, women still clutch their purse. Why is that? I don't know that I know a more humble and gentle person. It's not how he carries himself. It's not how he dresses. It's not how he talks. We got a problem. Are you with me? Acknowledging that there's the problem is the start. Proverbs says the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. Right? To any degree we have in us prejudice, it's pride, it's prejudging. So let's come back to what Peter said. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord, whoever will be saved. We believe that all are saved the same way by the undeserved grace of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to go just a step further 
I don't have time for you to open your Bibles, but in Acts chapter 10 and verse 11, God does something really amazing. Okay? Peter is serving God and primarily still with Jews. God gives him a vision. It's a crazy vision of a huge sheet being lowered from the sky. And in the sheet are a bunch of animals that are, according to the Jewish code, unclean. Animals that he's not supposed to eat. And, and, and Peter sees this vision three times. And, and, and God says to him, shows him that there is somebody else that's going to call for him. Okay? And God is saying to him, do not call unclean what I have called clean. At the same time, to a Italian, a, I love Italians. Anybody love, I love Italian food. Real Italian food, Pettigrata, Little Italy, Baltimore City. Love that place. My wife just brought me a dessert from there this week. That's why I'm so excited. An Italian, a Roman, has a vision and knows that he's supposed to call for Peter. And through this process, Peter goes with them to go into Cornelius' home, a Roman soldier. And that would be against the Jewish code for him to go into his home. He sits down and he eats with them. And Cornelius says, you must have a message from God for us. And Peter says, yes, I do. And he tells him about Jesus. And what happens? Cornelius and his house of Italian Gentiles come to faith in Jesus, repentance of sin, salvation, receiving the power of the Holy Spirit. And Peter says, whoa, Who am I to stand in the way of God? Clearly, God has said, do not call unclean what I have called clean. And God rearranges his whole theology. And so when we come to this Acts chapter 15, 11, that's the moment when Peter stands up to defend what God has done. He had to defend God. That all men are created equal. That Jesus is for everyone. The story doesn't end there. Time goes forward. Peter travels some. A church starts in a city called Antioch, which is the first place that people were called Christians, which was a word they used to make fun of them. Today they would say mini-Jesus. It was a word they made to make fun of them. And do you know what the church in Antioch was known for? It was the first multi-ethnic church. When people saw, unbelievers saw people of different ethnicities and cultures come together to worship Jesus, they say, whoa, that's different, what's going on? And they started to make fun of them. But it was not until the church was people of different ethnicities coming together that they were called Christians. Because the world knows that Sunday morning is still the most segregated hour in America. If people of different cultures and different ethnicities, look at the room. I don't have to convince you. You're here. That's when they were first called Christians. But I tell you that story to tell you this. Peter was not perfect. And doing multi-ethnic church is tough. Because what happened? Paul came to Jerusalem to get to know Peter. 
for 15 days. They hung out together. They got to know each other. They go their separate ways. They travel some again. They come back 14 years later. They're back together in the city of Antioch. Peter comes to visit. Peter Now Peter and James, the half-brother of Jesus, are the pastors of the church in Jerusalem. The church in Antioch is big. It actually sent money because there was major problems in Jerusalem to help the, the, the Jewish believers in Jerusalem, the Antioch church, did. Peter comes to visit the church in Antioch while Paul is there. And what happens? You read about it in Galatians chapter 2. Peter is there and he's eating freely, partying freely with people that were not Jews. And then some Jews from the church in Jerusalem, who in particular were friends of Pastor James, come to town. And some of these friends had education and culture and money and different things. And Peter, it says in Galatians chapter 2, was afraid of criticism. And so what did Peter do? He stopped eating with the Gentiles and just hang out with the Jews. And Paul had to confront him and said, what you're doing is wrong. That does not honor the gospel of Jesus. Peter, he's the one why the Roman Catholics built the Vatican. That guy. Peter, St. Peter, was not perfect. And he found that when we do church, when we come together in an ethnically and culturally blended way, it's tough. It's tough. He was afraid of criticism, so he stopped hanging out. Now you notice, it wasn't he stopped worshiping on Sundays. He stopped hanging out in the homes. Are you with me? This is Peter's story. Ben, why aren't you ending on a high note? I am. Give me a second. Paul confronts Peter and says, Peter, your behavior, that's not Jesus. Peter says, you know what? You're right. He confesses his mistake. They are, he repents and they are restored. To the point that later in the journey, Peter stands up before Jews and defends Paul. That's real restoration. Restoration is God's intent. Now, let's bring it to today. For white Americans, we swim in the culture of philosophies, atheistic, agnostic philosophies in our education system, and Christian philosophies that have put a heavy emphasis on personal responsibility. And rightfully so. But It's an error in the church. It lacks complete theology. I'm sorry, a lot of $20 words today. It lacks a complete view of God. So when we interact with the concept of racism, white Americans will tend to say, I have repented of whatever racist I have done, or I have not done that. And see, I could feel that way. I I don't have any ancestors that owned slaves. Or any ancestors that directly contributed to not hiring minorities or anything like that. And I did not grow up in a home where anything racist was said. I did not, so it's easy for me to say, oh, I'm good. But that is a, that is an incomplete understanding of God. What European Christians today understand much better is that yes, I am responsible before God for what I have done. And yes, I am also responsible because I am a human for what humans have done. 
And so European and Eastern Christians know how to repent for big picture sins and how to do restoration much better than we do. Because white Americans, and I can say this, I am one. White Americans have this, have put the philosophy and the healthy theology of personal responsibility on such a high priority that we do not understand corporate big picture responsibility. That's why some of the revivalists of the first and, and, and second great awakenings that did amazing things for leading people to Jesus and doing different things like um, cultural changes and orphanages and different stopped short of ending segregation. So, Pastor Ben, you're freaking me out. What does this look like? I'm so glad you asked. One time there was a storm on the coast and it washed up hundreds of starfish. Hundreds of starfish. And a man is walking down the beach in the morning, just befuddled. What is going on? And just walking past hundreds, thousands of starfish. And after a while in his morning walk, he sees another man walking towards him from the other direction. And the other man is bending down and picking up a starfish and throwing it into the ocean. Bending down, picking up a starfish and throwing it into the ocean. And he approaches me. What are you doing? What does it matter? They're all going to die in the sunlight. And the man picked up another one and said, it matters to this one. You have a life where you can do something that matters. It matters to this one. So what do we do? Well, James, ironically, wrote, when you need help, ask God for help. So we start with prayer. Ask God for help. Then we don't stop with just, God, it's a big problem, help. No, that's what leads us to inaction. And as we know from history, all that evil needs is for good people to do nothing. Right? Right? That's all that evil needs to win, is for good people to do nothing. So we pray, we ask God to do the big stuff that we can't do, because it's God that does the heavy lifting. And we ask God for help with what we can do. God, help me see what I can do, right? And then once we have an idea of what we can do from God, we plan. And then we, whoa, Pastor Ben, what are you doing with that third one? We partay. This is how Christians for centuries have healed social evil. They got together and they threw parties. And Jesus told us to. Luke 15. So one way that we do, we talked about it last week. What do you do? You learn more about each other. How do you identify racist, prejudice stuff? How do we address it? Well, one thing we do is we get together with people that look different than us and we hang out. And you don't, oh, we're going to fix the problem tonight. How about you just play a game? It's a really good starting point. And then in playing a game, how about you just ask some honest questions and just get to know each other? You might find out that culturally you have a lot more in common than you think. Right? 
Gandhi and others wrote about the fact that it's really hard to have an enemy when you learn a lot about them. So if we learn more about each other in parties, which Christians really, if you read the Bible, should be the best at throwing parties, and sometimes we're not. So we throw parties, and we learn more about each other, and then we obey the words of Jesus, and we love each other. We have a commitment to each other. And do you know that Jesus did not just say, love the ones that believe what you believe. There should be no one in our country who is better at loving Fill in the blank with whatever your sin issue is. Murderers, drug dealers, sexual stuff, whatever it is, there should be no one in the United States that's better at loving people, dare you say, those people. No one should be better at loving them than us. Because God loved us. He forgave us. He made us clean. He set us right. So we should throw parties. We should learn more about each other. We should love each other. And then once we love, there's a practical step we've got to start taking, and that is serve and protect. That includes, you've got to start to think through what you say and what you believe And then that will help you live a more examined life and you won't tell those jokes or behave in that way. Or do we always need to include someone's race in a story? I mean, come on. What that that should be a warning, danger, Will Robinson. If you feel the need to include that in your story, why? Are you denoting something negative? So we serve and protect first with some introspection, and then it puts us in a better place to then address what's going on in our homes, at our workplaces, and in our neighborhoods. Because then, particularly if somebody else who is your ethnicity is saying something negative or doing something negative against someone of another race or another culture, another educational level, to serve and protect means that I should say, um, why, why did you feel the need to say that? What's going on in your heart that would cause you to say something negative about a person like that? To serve and protect. Do you notice that when the Holy Spirit shows up in the book of Acts, it's because the disciples asked for boldness. How many of you think we could use some boldness in this area? Now, did you notice the order that I went? We go to God. Inside, we do stuff, easy stuff. Easy base hits. Hopefully for the Orioles, a little easier today than it has been lately. Easy stuff. And then we take that outside. Is this helping? Is this helping? Listen, it matters to this one. We can make a difference. We are making a difference. I can't count the number of times I myself have been told, I never knew that white people could be like that. I've spent, not only in Baltimore, but in the, over the course of my life, many weeks of my life where I was the only white face. I had a job that in particular just I created this in, in situation. I've had many, many times in my life just being myself, just doing what I'm saying. Where, to be honest with you, 
I don't even know that the whole week I was with the client, I ever said anything about race. But by the end of the week, many times over, I've had people apologize to me and say, at the beginning of the week, I treated you wrong because I was racist. By the end of the week, I realized that I still had some issues inside me about white people, and I'm sorry, and thank you for being you, and I never knew that white people could be like that. I was with, in particular, some older ladies in Harlem, East Harlem, a particularly very densely African-American section of Harlem. And they happened to go on a choir trip out to eastern Oregon, small towns, okay? And so one of them was telling the other one a story about the trip in front of me. She's holding my hand, pulling me. She was a close talker, pulling me real close. And she said something that was amazing about this trip out the or, out just past the, the gorge at, on this river in Oregon. She said, and there, the white people, they love you. All we need is love. Will you stand with me? God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. God is with us. God is for us, and if God is for us, then who can stand against us? Jesus is for everyone. You can throw a party. I know you can. And if you need help, you come to my house and we'll throw it together. I love to party. It's not all up to you. It's God that does the heavy lifting. Are you with me? Come on. It's God that does the heavy lifting. God asks us to love Him with all we've got and love our neighbor the same way we take care of ourselves. We can do that. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, I thank You so very much that we can revel in You, that we can enjoy You, that we can take time to laugh and sing and pray and celebrate the fact that because of You we are clean, because of You we are forgiven, because of You we have new life and a fresh start. And I thank You that You've asked us to do things like party, like love on each others and and listen and ask questions and, and, and be in each other's lives. I thank you that you've given us help, Lord, and that you're in control, that no matter what we face, no matter how big the problem looks, that you're the one who wins. You're the one who's in control. I thank you for it, God. I pray that you would give us boldness. Lord, just like your followers and disciples asked you for boldness, right here, right now, we say, God, Please forgive us for where there has been prejudice inside us. Please forgive us for where we have stopped short of doing things we should have done. Please forgive us for where we stopped short of loving on others. Please forgive us. And God, please help us. Please give us boldness. Please give us courage. Please put love inside us for others. Lord, I thank you that you are for us, that you are good, and that we can celebrate this beautiful day in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 God bless you. Thank you for being here today. Grace and peace to you. Enjoy your week. Ronald, it's good to see you again.